I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. All right, my guest today is Diane Datz. She is a PT uh, for the past six years, owner of the Recovery Lab New Mexico. She's a runner, triathlete, has run from 10K up to 50K. Yeah, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my first question is, how did you get into running? Um, That is a good question. I think I got into it after playing soccer and tennis in high school and then I was just looking for something to kind of keep me going um, something that I could do on my own and so when I started undergrad I you know didn't know anyone on campus um, and I just started kind of running around campus a little bit and didn't really know what I was doing or wasn't really training per se, but it was just a way to you know, to stay fit and just a really good outlet mentally. And I kind of fell in love with it from there. Well, that's cool. Where um, were you doing your undergrad? I went to Texas A&M in Corpus Christi. So oh, nice. it's a pretty small campus, um, but it's on an island. So there is like a perimeter that you could run and they had a nice running path. And it was probably maybe three miles long, if that. So I started there and then, you know, eventually got some running buddies and and then eventually started racing. So well, that's cool. Was it like um, just people you had met while running or did you join like a, a running club I just met people and got some friends into it it was just really casual um just kind of a way for us to to stay in shape so um yeah I never joined a running club actually until I moved here to Albuquerque oh nice mm-hmm now, I, I can't imagine, I mean, Corpus Christi must have been beautiful. It is. Um, and that was one of the draws and the reasons why I went there. Because um, I wanted to go to school in Texas, that's where I'm from. And, you know, being on the coast was definitely a draw. So it was cool. Corpus Christi is small, but, um, you know, being right on the beach was pretty awesome. I, I can only imagine it seems uh, a long way removed from New Mexico, though. It's a little bit different <laughs> here. <laughs> yes. Yes. And when I first moved here, I just thought, you know, that was going to be one of the things that I really missed because I lived on the coast for so long. But the mountains kind of took its place. So it's definitely a good substitute. And I don't miss it as much as I thought I would. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So when you first started college, did you know you wanted to be a PT? No, I had no idea, actually. It was funny because I, um, I knew I wanted to go to college, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. 
So I started out as a communications major because I thought that was kind of a, a broad, generalized thing to get into. And, um, you know, I was taking some film classes and some marketing classes, and I just did not like it. I was just going through the paces and kind of doing the bare minimum to get by, you know, and I went through a period where it was like, is college even for me? Should I be here? So I started looking into some other majors and just kind of narrowed it down by process of elimination. And I've always, you know, loved fitness and health and sports. And so I just kind of fell into it through that. And so I was, as I was looking at different majors, I found kinesiology. And then within kinesiology, they had, um, you know, different tracks that you could go on. So they had a pre-physical therapy track, and then they had, you know, you could do athletic training or coaching. And so um, as I just kind of researched more, the physical therapy track seemed really appealing to me. And it was nice because when you go into PT school, you can have any undergrad major. They'll accept anything, but you have to have a lot of prerequisites like anatomy and physiology and physics and all of those classes. So the kinesiology program that I did had all of those um, prereqs built in, which was really nice. So as soon as I switched majors, it was just night and day. Um, I started taking classes like biomechanics and physiology, like exercise physiology, and I just fell in love with it. It was awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, did you ever have to do any PT like when you were in high school doing soccer or tennis? And then you were like, you know, when you got into like, oh, that's why they were doing this with me or anything like that. Yeah, but it was interesting because so so many of my classmates were former soccer players and there was probably a quarter of my class that had ACL tears and they had gone through that whole process. Um, but for me, I so I went I went to middle school and high school overseas. So it was at an American military school. Okay. Um, so I ended up going to PT at the clinic on base. And I just went in for, I was getting chronic ankle sprains because our soccer field was so terrible. There were <laughs> holes in it. Everyone was always injured. So I got a PT referral for my ankle and it was just a really quick assessment. And they were like, okay, here's a sheet of exercises. Go for it. And, and that was it. And so it was kind of a lackluster experience. And so it really wasn't until much later on that I figured out that that's what I wanted to do. And that, you know, that the experience that I had wasn't necessarily what PT is. So, yeah, it was definitely my experience was nothing spectacular. But my what really kind of turned things around for me was um, within my undergrad program, I had to do a a clinical essentially it was like an, an internship um, where I was just observing and kind of helping out a little bit at the clinic and so I was with in this small private practice and uh, there was one PT there and she was just so passionate about her work 
And that's what, you know, that's when things really clicked. I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is what I can bring to the table too. It's not just, here's a quick printout of exercises. Go do that at home. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I could see how that would (laughs) kind of be a, you know, you've seen kind of the easiest way to get through it. And, And when you put more effort, I'm sure you see your clients with a bit, you know, having a better recovery rate and probably being a little bit more grateful to you. Totally. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, when I was in high school, I had a, a knee injury and never really figured out what it was, but I had gone to PT for a while and it was interesting um, because I, I, I really enjoyed the experience and it was actually something that I thought of doing uh, for a long time until I eventually got into you know, where I'm at now with teaching. But I really enjoyed the the idea of it. A lot of the classes were, you know, in the undergrad, the prereq stuff. I really enjoyed microbiology mm-hmm. and, and that stuff. So I can see where you could um, definitely fall in love with it. Yeah, it's an awesome field. And there's always, you know, even within PT, there are there are so many different avenues to go down. And so, um, you know, there's just, there's always new research and new things to learn and different techniques. So it's just kind of this never ending process of learning, which is pretty cool. Right. Well, and it's, you know, it's interesting, you know, my grandfather had gone through um, some PT when, when he was sick and older, he, um, with cancer and trying to work out his muscles and stuff. And, you know, in the schools, we see PT with, you know, uh, different students with, you know, disabilities. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it is interesting, interesting, like you say, there's all these different ways you can, you can go through it. And you specialize in outpatient ortho, right? Yeah, I do. So, and even within outpatient ortho, there's still a whole spectrum because we have, you know, like, the older population who are just trying to improve their mobility and improve their quality of life and kind of, you know, be as independent as possible um, all the way up to like high level athletes. And that's, you know, part of what makes it so interesting is because, you know, you have to have kind of a different, different skill set and a different um, range of things for these, patients to do based on their goals and kind of their their current level of function and that sounds like it's got to be well one fun because it, it keeps you kind of not doing the same thing all the time but can also be a little challenging to make sure that you're you know on top of each patient and and where they're at physically and um, age-wise and and all of those factors yeah absolutely um Yeah, because even with, you know, if you take an athlete who's 15 versus an athlete who's 60, um, their goals may be very similar, but you're still going to progress them a little bit differently, you know, so there are a lot of variables to consider, but that really is what makes it fun. I'm sure that sounds cool. (laughs) Yeah. And so you had told me you actually tore your ACL uh, before, right? I did. Yeah. Um, it was about two and a half years ago and I was mostly just running at the time. And I, one of my friends 
plays intramural soccer and invited me to join their team because they're always, it's a co-ed team and they were always short on women. So they were always playing down a player and all of the women that were on the team were having to play the full 90 minutes. And so I thought, yeah, that would be fun cross training. I'll just throw that in. You know, it's been a while since I've played, but <laughs> it'll be fun. Yeah. And, uh, um, Man, I think it was not even like halfway into the season, I tore my ACL. And it was just this classic scenario. It was like a non-contact injury. So I was just sprinting towards the ball and trying to catch it before it went out of bounds and just planted my foot to kick and just down I went. And as soon as it happened, you know, I was in such denial about it because that's just the classic way that especially women tear their ACLs. And I just thought the whole time, you know, I had to get somebody to practically carry me off the field. And the whole time I'm like, hmm, it's not my ACL. Like, surely that can't be it. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a loud pop and I just fell down and yeah, very, very typical so that was the end of my soccer career. <laughs> I have not played since. But I was able to, so that year, that happened in April. And then I was already registered for the Chicago Marathon that year, which happens in October. Right. So I didn't want to get surgery on it because if I had surgery, I definitely wouldn't be rehabbed in time to run. But if I was able to get away without surgery, then there was a chance that I could actually train and run this race. So I decided to just kind of rehab it and see what happened. Um, and it was actually really successful. So I was able to run Chicago and then just, you know, I haven't had many issues with it since. So I never ended up getting the reconstruction, which was pretty cool. Wow. That that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool. Just, you know, there's more and more research coming out that conservative management is often the way to go. Just, you know, of course, it depends on the person and, you know, the amount of instability in their knee. But I'm able to do, you know, I can trail run without any problems. I can mountain bike and cycle and basically do all the things that I want to do without it. So it's been a cool learning process. Wow. And so I'm just imagining that probably took a lot of kind of strengthening the muscles around the knees, working on the calves and the quads a lot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of hamstring. So the ACL basically prevents the femur from sliding forward. So when you strengthen the hamstring, it kind of pulls that back and it essentially can act like your ACL. Wow. That's, that's really cool. I, I never would have even thought of that. I, when you started this, I thought you were going to say like you were able to hold off and then after the race, you, you got the surgery. And so that's really cool that you um, have been able to continue with, without that at this point. Yeah, it is. And I really wasn't sure how things were going to go for a while because the rehab was really slow in the beginning um, and oddly enough, I, one of the last things that I got back to doing was yoga, which you would think I would have been able to jump right back in, but like, bending my knee was pretty limited and painful for a while. And so, 
yoga was just really frustrating because um, there were so many things that I had to modify. Um, and that was kind of, you know, I was just holding out to see if I was going to be able to return to that because that's something that I love doing um, and obviously didn't want to be limited with forever. So that was really the last thing. Um, it took a long, long time to, to get comfortable with it again. But yeah, I've been able to do it and I, I have full range of motion and it feels like 95%. You know, there's still some things, well, you know, after you have a big injury like that, you're just mo- more prone to tweaking it a little bit. And every once in a while, I'll feel it. But it's it's pretty close to full, back to full function. Wow. And, you know, so you've been practicing PT for about six years now. And so obviously, this was kind of in the middle of of your practicing. And did you have any moments where you kind of went to like worst case scenarios since you kind of knew what this could be like? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I did, I met with a couple of surgeons and the, that possibility was definitely on the table. You know, I know what typical rehab looks like, you know, how it looks for ACL reconstruction and the outcomes are pretty good. So a lot of people are able to get back into, you know, returning to their sport, things like that. So I never entertained the idea of not being able to run again. That really wasn't in the realm of possibilities as far as, as I thought of it. But, um, you know, I did, I think the worst case scenario for me would have been having to go through the surgery and it's just, you know, such a long process. It's a long rehab process. It takes a long time to get back into running again. So I think that would have been the worst case scenario. But then long term, you know, a lot of people when they do tear their ACLs, that just really increases their rate for re-injury, both on the, um, the side that they've torn, but also on the other side. So just think, kind of thinking about those long-term repercussions, um, you know, the risk of tearing it again, also the increased risk of arthritis. And that's, you know, that's true for whether you get, you know, fix it operatively or just do non, um, non-surgical care. So those long-term repercussions, you know, I still do think about those because I'm you know, much more likely to get arthritis later in life just because of that tear. Right. Wow. I just, <laughs> were you playing on a, uh, was it an outdoor soccer or indoor field? It was outdoor. Okay. I was curious because my, my cousin had, um, he tore his ACL doing a soccer league as well, but it was uh, indoor and he kind of blamed it on the, being on the hard surface, you know, inside. Yeah, indoor is rough because it's also so much faster. It's, um, you know, smaller space and it's quicker and the turf makes it a little bit faster. So, yeah, I could definitely see how that could be a contributing factor. Yeah, I I, def- I <laughs> actually that made me think I forgot about this. I had popped my hamstring out actually once um, I was on a flag football uh, team with some friends and it was an in- indoor flag football, and I, yeah, I just went to sprint, heard this pop in my um, 
back in my hamstring and I went down and I was like, oh, this isn't right. <laughs> oh, no. But I just, I, I just kind of took some time off and kind of went slow. I never really did anything about it. I haven't had any issues with it. So. Oh, wow. That's good. Yeah. I, I don't know if I, if I misheard the pop or what, but I had forgotten about that. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, that's that can be devastating. Just hearing that noise, you're like, oh, I know, I don't know what it is, but something is very wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh oh man. man. All right. Um. So you know, during your time that you're recovering, you started getting into cycling a bit more, right? Mm-hmm. I did, and it was just starting out. I put my um. I had a bike. I just wasn't really cycling much at all at the time. Um, so I put my bike on the trainer and just tried, I couldn't even do full revolutions yet, but I was just trying to gain the mobility again. Um, so I would just sit on the bike and try to push it, push the range of motion. And then eventually, you know, when I was, um, able, able to do full range of motion and kind of feeling better about stability and balance. Then I was able to get out on the road and do that, but it was a really, really helpful way. Again, just having that outlet to exercise and, um, getting that kind of that mental outlet was super, super good. Um, before I was really ready to run again. Yeah. I was going to ask, you know, if that kind of helped keep that motivation while you were weren't able to do the the running that you wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't, you know, nothing will ever replace running, but it was a really good substitute short term, um, just to be able to get outside to move my body, um, to not be stuck on the couch, just missing running. (laughs) Um, And also for the social aspect, you know, once I was kind of up to speed and able to join group rides, that was really helpful too, because, you know, when you're injured, you know, all of your running buddies are still out there doing their thing. And it's just really sad when you're not able to. So the social component was really big too. Oh, yeah, I I know. I think a lot of people are kind of missing that, you know, now with, you know, a lot of the social distancing things. I know the, the team I work with, they they've been struggling to kind of stay motivated and, and be working on their, their own. It's a, it's a tough thing for a lot of people. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. We've had to kind of come up with creative ways. Like, you know, some of the virtual races are fun. Um, You know, just different challenges that people have started. So that's been a, a good thing to kind of keep, keep us going in the interim but it still doesn't replace the you know in-person benefit that we get right did you have any races that you were looking forward to this year that got canceled or went (laughs) virtual yes i was actually supposed to do my first iron man today oh Um, wow today Yes, a little sad but um yeah i was gonna do iron man arizona and I decided to stop training for it several months ago because I just didn't see how it could plausibly still happen. Right. Um, and, you know, training, I did keep training for a while just because it was, 
you know, especially at the start of this pandemic, like back in March when everything was shut down, you know, I was not working for a while. And so that was just, I needed that consistency. Um, So I kept training for a little while and then, you know, work picked up again, things got really busy and I just, I don't, I kind of hit a point where I didn't want to put in the work knowing that it probably wasn't going to happen. So I deferred to next year and I was really happy with that decision because they ended up canceling it like a week ago. Oh, wow. (laughs) So they kept saying, yeah, it's still going to happen. They had to make some modifications with the course. So it was supposed to be, I think, like a 68-mile course for the bike instead of 110 miles. And they kept making modifications as far as like how many spectators there could be and the number of aid stations and all these things. And so for my first Ironman, that just wasn't the experience that I wanted. Right. And then, yeah, as of, I think it was last week, they canceled the whole thing. So. Wow. They really uh, put that down to the last second. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. I feel awful for all the people that were still training and, you know, traveling. And I would imagine people already had their bikes shipped out. and uh, That must have been pretty devastating. Yeah, I I can't imagine. Uh, There was one happening in Texas around now, too, that just got canceled as well. I'd heard about that one recently. Um, And it was kind of the same thing. It was within a couple of weeks. And it just seems, um, you know, we've We've been going through this for a while. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You can kind of make predictions about how things are going to go at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's it's. I'm sure it's a tough, tough decision to have to make. But doing it last minute like that is just really tough for the athletes. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) But no, you're right there. It's it is interesting. All the different um, challenges and virtual options you have. I mean, there's. There's races I, I would never have even considered a, or looked at. But now I'm like, well, I'm just, you know, I'll donate money to this because I, I feel comfortable or I, I like this. I want to support this cause. So I'll, you know, dedicate this run to them. So, you know, that's been interesting. And and then the the kind of little random things, I think, uh, I think it's the marathon project that's going on in Arizona. It's just an elite race. But I believe they have a virtual hour run, which is kind of interesting where everybody, you find a team of four and I think you're supposed to do it on a track and basically break it up so that you continue running for an hour and whoever gets the most distance in that time and, you know, is the winner. That's a really cool concept. I like that. Yeah. It's just, you know, there's there's a lot of different different things you can do with it. And it's amazing to see people kind of thinking outside of the box with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I've noticed and, you know, I haven't really been on on Instagram uh, that much. But since I started the, the podcast and and watching a lot of people putting up um, little strength training videos and things you can add at home and. Um, you recently just did that. I think it was last week where you did a, you were showing uh, some some ab workouts that you could just add to your routine. I think you just put like four mm-hmm. up, which was 
which is great. Yeah, I think, you know, anything that we can do to keep ourselves going at this point. So this modifying, you know, we can't get into the gym right now, but there's still a lot you can do with body weight. So yeah, it's just, we have to get creative, but that doesn't mean that everything stops. We just have to modify, kind of recalibrate, readjust, and do what we can with what we have. Right. And so kind of on that note, too, I mean, right now we're in we're in the middle of the of our two week reset, as it's being called. But mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to last just two weeks. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and and so, you know, coming from kind of the PT perspective, you know, we're about to hit kind of our our colder months heading into, you know, December and January. And um, although recently it's been really unseasonably warm. Um, mm-hmm. But what what kind of injuries do you normally see or or have dealt with kind of as things get colder and people aren't, you know, maybe warming up as much as they, they're supposed to or, or taking care of the stretching? What kind of things do you mm-hmm. see popping up from that? Yeah, so um, muscle tears and muscle strains are big ones because – and that – most most often is because of lack of warm up. You know, our muscles are just much more likely to tear when they're cold and we're not when we're not giving them the sufficient warm up. So that's a big one. Um, hamstring strains are really common, especially for runners. Um, or like a a calf strain is another big one. So when we're not giving ourselves adequate warm-ups, then we have, you know, just decreased elasticity within those muscles and, and the tendons and ligaments. And so they're just much more likely to, to strain or to tear. So with that, with that being said, an adequate warm-up is just that much more important with colder weather. Um, so I like to do you know, and runners are notorious for, <laughs> for skipping warmups. And I'm really guilty of that too. So what I would try to do ideally is, you know, do a little indoor warm- warmup. So whether it's just like, you know, dynamic stretching or like hip swings, things like that, just to kind of get some blood flowing and get your body a little bit warm before you head out the door that really works well. Uh, And then just taking that first 10 minutes of running really slow um, and letting your body gradually ease into it. So those two things can really help with preventing the, the tears or strains, things like that. Yeah. I think that's, that's good advice. I also Mm -hmm. struggle with, (laughs) (laughs) it's so hard. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, de- I'm, I'm pretty good at taking that first mile, especially if it's kind of colder of, you know, or, or five, you know, miles, 10 minutes, kind of whatever comes first and, mm-hmm. you know, taking that kind of easier, but, um, I am, I am not good with, uh, getting those dynamic stretches in. I, I <laughs> yeah, you and me both. <laughs> But another reason why that really works well is to, you know, if you're not doing a warm up first, then we often tend to wear too many layers. So then when you actually are adequately warmed up, then 
you get too warm or you get really sweaty. So trying to get that warm up in like before you head out the door can uh, just allow you to dress more adequately or more appropriately because your body's kind of already acclimated and already a little bit warmer. That is one. Oh man, every year. And even with my own daughter, but the, the girls I coach, it's, they'll come and it's, you know, it's, it's chilly outside in, in, uh, during track or the end of cross country, but you know, they're coming with, you know, so many layers on. And then I'm like, you're going to warm up. Uh Sure enough, as soon as, you know, we get farther into the run, then it's like, I'm I'm hot, I'm sweating. Like, well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then that can be miserable because then you get sweaty and then you get really cold. um, And then it's just hard to warm up again. So it is a battle. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you talked about some of those injuries that that you'll see from runners, especially in um, you know during this time. But are those just typical uh, things you'll see from runners that you work with? Yeah. So the big thing with runners is most often overuse injuries. So that's just from training errors that could either be you know increasing mileage too quickly or any big change, whether it's like changing the terrain that you're running on, so going from running flat to running really hilly, things like that. So the the majority of, of overuse injuries are a result of training errors. But in terms of the type of injuries that I typically see, um, knee pain is huge. So that's definitely one of the biggest ones. Um, and that could either be you know, there are different diagnoses, obviously, but um, like it just pain around the kneecap, pain in the front of the knee. Those are really, really typical of runners. And again, that can result from a variety of things. But strength training is one of the biggest things that can help with that. So I always advocate for that. Uh, yeah, I, um, I've, I've, know what that feels like (laughs) that runner's knee as they call it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and and yeah it's it's uh you know it's difficult you know it's easy to just say well I've got 40 minutes so I'm gonna go get my 40 minute run and maybe I can get a five minute stretch afterward and it's easy to kind of forget and I and I know because I've from my own experience and just say like how you know I don't have time for that strength training today or I'll, I'll try to do something this weekend or, you know, later, later, later. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that it's so hard when you are time crunched and, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about running is that it's so convenient and, um, you know, you just need running shoes basically and you can just go right out the door and do it. And so, yeah, it is hard when, um, when you're time crunched and strength training isn't always super convenient, but, you know, from an injury prevention standpoint, it really is huge and you don't have to spend a ton of time in the gym to, to make it worthwhile. So it can be like, I'll often just get in two 20 minute sessions a week. Sometimes that's just all I have to dedicate to it. 
but there's still a lot that you can get done within that time. And, you know, focusing on like compound movements where you're working multiple muscle groups that can really give you, um, you know, allow you to get in a decent workout in that short time frame. So it doesn't have to be incredibly time consuming. Um, just consistency is really, really key. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so kind of on that note, what are, what are a couple of maybe easy things that people could do at home? Um, you know, now during this time, you know, gyms are closed again and and not sure exactly when they're going to be opening up that can kind of help them um, with some of that, that strength um, training. Yeah. So um, lunges would be a really good one. I like to do um, for runners. I like to do a, like instead of a walking lunge that people do a lot, I'll do like a backwards lunge. So you're just standing and you step backwards, go into your lunge and then bring the foot forward again. And so that's a really good one because it kind of um, simulates the same movement that we're doing when we run. Um, so yeah, lunges, even body weight squats, you know, you sometimes you have to do kind of high repetitions if you're, if you don't have any weights at home, but doing lunges or even jump squats can be really fun. And then you know, it's really hard to strengthen the hamstrings without any equipment. So that's a tricky one. Uh, but just doing like a bridge can be good or a single leg bridge. So that gets a little bit more of the posterior ch chain, which is, you know, a little bit more difficult to target without equipment, but it is doable. And then um, for upper body, you know, push-ups and dips are pretty easy to do without, without equipment or with minimal equipment. And then some kind of core workout. So things like planks um, and with planks, I really like to do some kind of variety so that they're not just that static holds because that can be <laughs> really tough to do, especially <laughs> if you're on your own and you don't have somebody kind of in your face motivating you. Um, but just doing like a, a rolling plank or just adding some kind of movement to the plank um, lifting a foot, lifting an arm, that kind of thing, just to change it up. But planks are great for, um, for core. And also you get a little bit of shoulders in there too. So I really like those. And then single leg calf raises are another big one. So kind of runner specific and really easy to do without any equipment. Oh, that's a, that was a lot of I think really good ideas, although I don't think I've ever heard of uh, jumping squats as being described as fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all about perspective, I guess. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> but it, it was interesting. Uh, you talked about the the backward lunges. Um, that's something I've been seeing kind of pop up uh, a few different places recently um, through Instagram, uh, Twitter, just just some other coaching and stuff, things I follow. It's uh, that seems to be kind of popping up a lot more, you know, for for runners, which is which is interesting. Is there is there is it a different kind of motion than going forward or, or why is that? 
So when you're doing um, with the backwards lunge, it's nice for runners because you get that hip extension, which is always a big focus for running. That's an area where um, we tend to be restricted with our movement, um, especially for those of us that are sitting all day. So just getting kind of that dynamic stretch on the hip flexors is really nice. And then you're kind of training that. um, So you're going, as you come up into the lunge, you're lifting one leg, you get that single leg stability, which also is really simulating um, our running pattern. So um, the way that I will often do it in the clinic is to have, um, you know, have the arm swing happen and have it be kind of a quick dynamic movement where you're holding your opposite leg up in the air for a second so you're having to to balance on one foot and then going back into that lunge position again so every time you're coming up it's like it's almost like a bound forward um so it's just it's really nice for runners versus just a typical forward lunge or like a walking lunge which is going to be more quad dominant okay that makes sense Mm mm-hmm yeah, I was I just like I said, it's just, it's been interesting kind of see that, you know, popping up, but I never I didn't know any of the the mechanical or science behind it. It just um was curious because obviously, you know, for a long time it was just, you know, walking lunges or, or just forward lunges is, you know, typically what what I was hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those still have a place, certainly. Um, especially if the focus is for quad strengthening, they're really great for that. And you're still getting, um, you know, kind of that single, it's not quite a single leg exercise, but it's kind of teasing out any strength discrepancies. So between sides. Um, so I really do, I still like it, but for runners specifically, um, that just makes it a little bit more specific to the movement pattern that we need to train. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, one thing I, I think you had told me was that you are a certified um, U.S. track and field triathlete coach, right? I am. Yeah. So I did. Um, I went through the training about a year and a half ago um, and got certified. And that's just, you know, both for from the perspective of being a PT, but also from the perspective of being an athlete, it was just really valuable info for me to have. So I feel like I've been able to, to bring that into, to rehab a little bit and help bridge that gap from rehab to performance. So that's been really nice. That's cool. Yeah. It makes sense that you know, kind of having an idea of, of what the training might be, might look like, and, and then how to format the, their PT around that. It just sounds like it would make sense. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And I feel like so often within therapy, you know, there's oftentimes patients will get discharged too early, um, especially if we're talking about a triathlete or, you know, any athlete, but somebody who's looking to get to a a high level of performance, then oftentimes they're just, they're discharged from PT too early because they're, 
they've reached a functional standpoint in what you know the typical person would be should be able to do throughout their day but it's just you know they're not up to they're not trained to the point where they can actually perform so trying to fill in those gaps a little bit is really one of my goals um, and one of the reasons why I enjoy working with athletes so much yeah that's cool and and it, it always I always like when the PT, like I said, I've only really had one experience. My daughter um, had to work with one for a while for some uh, ankle injuries as well. But it was, it was the same thing. It was once a week uh, or once every other week for a while. And, and she had a paper to, you know, kind of guide her at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is nice when when the person you're working with has an idea of of what you're going through and what your goals are and obviously going through not only the the coaching training but also being a triathlete yourself you have that experience of what the the athletes are kind of hoping to get back to yeah exactly yeah having that perspective is is really awesome um is that's the really the population that I love to work with so kind of being in the thick of it myself and knowing what it's like and knowing, you know, I've had a ton of injuries <laughs> over the years, unfortunately, because that's just the way it goes. Um, so I really do know, you know, I've been kind of on both sides of that and know how it goes. Right. Um, since you have that certification, have you done any coaching of, of triathletes? Yeah, I have um, of triathletes and runners. So it's been, for the most part, pretty casual. I've trained some of my friends, um, and trained, you know, taken some of my patients, you know, again, just bridging that gap once they're done with PT, I've been able to take them into, into some training for events. So that's been really cool. That's definitely, um, kind of another, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum than what I'm used to doing. So, that's been a lot of fun to get into that too. Well, that's cool. And I can see too, kind of, again, from both sides, when you, you know, getting the training to to help inform your, your PT practice, but also the PT helping inform the the training and, and being able, you know, you know, the injuries that they have and, you know, could sustain, you know, like you said, kind of that overcompensation when you tear one um, ACL and then having the the problems in the other one, I think mm-hmm. you know, that could be helpful. Just another insight, you know, when coaching someone. Exactly. Yeah. And there are so many considerations, you know, and sometimes both, you know, from a PT perspective, but also for perfor- performance. So considerations like diet and sleep and, you know, external stressors and, you know, family stuff and work stuff. You know, there are so many different things that go into what our ultimate performance ends up being. And so I think, you know, going through the certification and then um, coaching has, you know, just kind of opened up my eyes to some of those things too. Um, because it's not, you know, rehab and training are never completely linear. They're going to be, 
you know, usually like a stepwise progression with setbacks along the way, just because there are other things going on in your life. Um, and those are, you know, that's true for PT and for coaching, but that's, you know, going through that process kind of opened my eyes to some of those things. Right. And well, in talking about kind of, you know, those setbacks, you know, like you said, both in coaching and PT and also in, in, in your own running or, or, you know, whoever your coaching zone running, you know, you've, you've probably had a lot of experience trying to keep people, you know, motivated and, and having to kind of, you know, remind them of the, the bigger picture when they do have those, those setbacks. And so, you know, how do you, how do you kind of help keep them um, looking forward and, and staying positive? Well, I think, you know, bringing up some of those other factors, you know, especially if, if the training isn't happening, you know, if it's like a time factor and there are other things in their life taking precedence, um, then just kind of discussing some of those things, I think can be really important and can bring to light, you know, if they're not getting, not getting the results that they want, or not able to put in the time that they want, then just kind of bringing in some of those ideas of like, well, maybe there are other factors that are coming into play here. And that's a big part of kind of building the overall program is Uh, looking at cumulative stress. So if they're having a lot of stressors in other aspects of their life, then we need to account for that in training. Um, And oftentimes that will be going on without the, the person even realizing it. So they're like, why am I performing poorly? Or, you know, why am I not progressing? Um, That's when we can look into some of those other factors. Like, how are you sleeping? What's your diet? Like, you know, are you recovering adequately? Uh, and sometimes we just need to dial things back to account for those other things going on. So in terms of motivation, I think, you know, just being able to meet people where they are is really important. So if somebody is, you know, not meeting their pace goals consistently or not getting, not able to get all the workouts in, if they're missing workouts, then we just need to modify things within the program. Because if you're constantly, you know, underperforming, that's really demotivating. Or if you're just, if it's a time factor and you're just not able to get it all in, then we just need to prioritize, okay, what's the bare minimum that we can do to ultimately meet the goals that we want? Oh, that makes Um, Oh, go ahead. (laughs) No, no, that's basically it. Just modifying the program, kind of teasing out what, what else is going on in their life that's contributing? Because sometimes it's not related to fitness at all. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's the, that can be the hardest part to kind of figure out sometimes is, is what else is going on that's giving you that mental block. Because that mental, mental aspect of it is so important. Whether you're injured or not, it is such a huge part of all of this, really. It really is. Yeah. And that can, can really make or break it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I'm going to go back to, to your own kind of training and fitness. Uh, you know, you, you talked about doing the triathlon and, and being excited for that. And obviously now it's, that's kind of on pause. Yeah. Um, 
Is is that kind of your your next big goal? Is is completing a, a full triathlon, or you know, you you said you've run up to fifty k's. Do you have any like um, running goals that you're looking at, kind of in the future as well? Yeah, so I think I've decided that the fifty k is is the longest distance that I want to run. <laughs> I've kind of I've met my match on that one. Um, for a while, I kept going longer and you know it's creeping up there and then you know my the first 50k that I ran I um you know my dad called to congratulate me and he said all right are you gonna do a hundred miler next (laughs) and I said no absolutely not um so I don't I don't foresee that being a goal but I'm signed up to do the Zion 50k in the spring nice so fingers crossed on that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as more of a short-term goal, since there aren't really races happening right now, um, my friend and I have decided to train for a mile, which is really scary for me. <laughs> um, so I've worked with, you know, I always work with athletes or even, you know, people who don't run and they're like, oh, what's the fastest mile that you've ever run? And it is not impressive by any means. (laughs) (laughs) I am not, I've never trained for a mile and I'm a distance runner. So on December 12th, I'm going to run a mile and hopefully it'll be more impressive than my last attempt. Wow. I I was asking that just, you know, curious. I didn't know I was going to get like breaking news here. Like that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous for it, but we'll see how it goes. Do you have a time goal in mind or are you just going to kind of see what happens? So I would like to be in the high sixes somewhere, but I don't want to get more specific than that because I'm I will get too nervous (laughs) trying to meet a specific goal. So, yeah, if I can get somewhere in the sixes, I'll be really happy. Awesome. Uh, are you going to do it on a track or do you have like a mile stretch in mind? Yeah, we're going to do a mile on the Bosky. Um, we did kind of a trial run to test it out and it's pretty flat. And so we can just do like a mile warm up on the way out and then do our fast mile on the way back. Well, awesome. Well, good luck with that. I mean, I'm excited to hear Thank how that you. goes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's, uh, it, it's always like, like I said, I mean, you were talking about earlier, the way people are getting creative with, with races and challenges. And I just find it so amazing and, and such a great way to stay motivated during this time, because it, it's all you can do is to find different ways to get yourself going and keep yourself excited about it. And you know, for some people, it is just being able to get out every day and go run for however long they get to go. But those challenges, I, th- I think, are just, um, you know, the great little ways to, to keep that competitive uh, mindset going. Yeah. And there are so many different things coming out. Like you mentioned, the hour run. Um, some of my friends were Uh, registered for a race that got canceled and instead did this virtual scavenger hunt. So there are just, yeah, there are a lot of cool creative ways to stay motivated and 
I think having, you know, some of those short term goals in mind are really important. And then some kind of long term goal, even though I'm not, you know, I'm hopefully optimistic, optimistic for 2021. But we may be without races for a while here. So yeah, so finding finding other ways to do it is so important right now. Yes, I hopefully I, I'm I'm not overly optimistic for the spring. I'm hopeful, um, mm-hmm. but I, I'm I'm really kind of more looking my personally thinking that we'll see some more in the in the fall. Things will hopefully be in a better position. Yes, I yeah. certainly hope so. Well, that is a a long way to go, and. <laughs> And hopefully, you know, we can, everybody does their part and and we get through this. Yes, we will. It's just a matter of when. Right. Um, And so, you know, obviously you're doing, uh, you have the recovery lab, you do the PT. Uh, Mm -hmm. Are you doing virtual uh, meetings with people during this time where everybody's kind of shut down? Yes. So I still, the clinic is still open. Um, and I do, I treat one-on-one, so that makes it kind of easy to keep things safe, um, and low risk, but I am offering virtual visits also. Um, and that's been surprisingly, um, successful, you know, I was a little bit skeptical just being such a (laughs) hands-on in such a hands-on field. And I love doing manual work and that's such an important part of my practice. But I've really been pleased with how successful the virtual stuff can be, um, both for uh, for the evaluation and like differential diagnosis and kind of figuring out what's wrong, but also um, just kind of showing people how to treat themselves and, and what they can do. So that's been um, kind of a silver lining, I would say, from all of this is just like changing the way that I practice a little bit and at least giving me some more tools to be able to help people. So yeah, the, um, the virtual stuff has been really good. Well, that's good to know. It is interesting. I think, I mean, nothing's going to ever replace, you know, human contact and and being close Mm -hmm. to someone, but it, it is amazing how much we can get done virtually. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, obviously, I'll be tagging um, the recovery lab in in this, and and so people can definitely click on the link and go to your page and and look you up if they if they need any uh, help or diagnosis or looking for a triathlete coach. Awesome! Yeah, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, and so I, I think this is a a good place to wrap up. Uh, this has been a okay. a great conversation. Uh, you know, my last question is the same as it always is. And that's, uh, you know, is there any specific, uh, music or artists you're listening to, to kind of get you pumped, get you moving, uh, get you out that door, get you motivated for that mile run? (laughs) Um, yeah, this was the perfect, perfect weekend to ask that question because, Megan the Stallion just released her first um, full-length album, right. so I've definitely been eating that up. I think it'll be good. I haven't run with it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I I just saw that. I I heard a 
I read a pretty decent review on it, but I haven't listened to anything off of it oh, yet. Oh, it's, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there a specific song that uh, that's really just kind of speaking to you right now? Um, ooh, I'm not sure. I've kind of had it on repeat, so I haven't ooh. been paying attention to which, which song is which, but um, they are all pretty fantastic, I have to say. All right, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you again for for taking the time and joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. If you can, please rate and review, but most importantly, spread the word so we can grow this community. If you know of any runners that deserve a shout out or should be interviewed, or you just want to share your runs and connect with other people, use the hashtag runningnm on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow me at runningnm on both these platforms. If you prefer to reach out by email, you can find me at runningnewmexico at gmail.com. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud under DJ Teach. And until next time, keep running, New Mexico.